Hallelujah. Well, last week we covered the first three chapters of First Thessalonians. We are going through the Bible, and we have uh, about seven or eight little books left before we're finished. Uh, we'll be done by about the end of October. And uh, so if, if I were more of a man, I would have finished the whole book last week because it just fits together so well. But, but because I was a coward, um, I'm going to have to review this week before I can do the last part. So it, it, it may have been better if I'd have just gone all the way through it last week. But I don't mind reviewing. Paul uh, often said, and, and to share the same things with you again is not grievous to me, and it's good for you. And so we're going to review a little bit from last week. Um, how many of you all know basically what's going on in these first three chapters of Thessalonians? Michael, what, basically what's going on in these first three chapters? Pardon me? Extended greetings. Anything special about these extended greetings? Expressions of love. Yeah, we, I'm, I'm sure you could probably pull more out, but I, I stopped at eight different places, and Paul has these really uh, powerful expressions of his care for them. Uh, this is not some formal letter that he learned in business school, a way to endear people or market anything. But Paul is writing to them, and he's saying, I want you guys to really know how much I love you. So I, let me read those eight um, First of all, he said, I'm always thinking about you. Look at the person next to you and say, I am always thinking about you. Well, actually, I had husbands and wives in mind there. But uh, <laughs> so, no, that didn't go very well, did it? Yeah, no. However, it should. We should always be thinking about each other, holding one another in our heart and in prayer. Um, and then he said... As I make my choices in life, I want you to know something, Debbie. I choose what I do with you in mind and for your good. That's weird, isn't it? Isn't that awesome? Could there be a people who lived their lives in such a way that the first thought was of other people and when they made choices... Uh, I remember when we first got started, we had people who had become radical disciples. And they learned how to make choices based on what is good for the whole or good for some other specific individual. But then new disciples coming in, they hadn't really grown in that. And so it would come time for us to sit around and, and make decisions. And you would have those people who are... That's okay, Sandy. Let's turn it up. I tell you, my stuff gets going in places, and I just, I'm just like, well, I'm just like you. I disrupt the whole thing, you know. <laughs> uh, but but it, it's fun to watch people make that transition from when, you, when the group gets together to decide about something rather than this is what I like, this is what I want, to see them begin to carry other people and say, with our resources, with our lives, how can we best serve uh, the need of the other person? It's a beautiful thing. 
And it wasn't, it wasn't this shallow um, expression of love, but it was costly. It wasn't, oh, I think I'll write you a card. It's, I'm going to pour my life out for you in specific ways. And in all of this, he wasn't building his ministry. He wasn't trying to achieve some level of income. Um, there was no glory or gain in it for him. And then he goes into these, these sort of uh, uh, sentimental, uh, emotional expressions. And when he's, one, one place he says, you know, just like a, a, a mom with a nursing baby, that's how I care for you. And then not much further he says, like a father exhorting you. Uh, and so he takes this on, and I think Matt pointed it out last week, there's a lot of uh, vocabulary that has to do with really having the sentiment of true family with one another. And then he talks about longing and desiring, longing to see them, desiring to see them face to face. And then finally he says, I can't make it, but you know what? I am going to send somebody in my place. Um, I want to be there so bad. Which, by the way, I had to send Bill in my place this morning. I was supposed to do a reading at Henry Clay, and I had a, a different meeting. And uh, So that, that was fun. When I showed up, I think they had introduced him as Billy Henderson. I'm not sure. And uh, But uh, to show up and to, uh, to know that Bill had done a better job than I could have and um, so it, it, was, it was really fun to be able to send somebody. So Paul had somebody that was part of his staff that he could send. And he said, I, look, I can't get there, but I'm going to send somebody. I am not going to leave you over there by yourself. And you could pick out a, 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 lot, of, a lot of other things. But, but the thing, one of the things is I was reflecting this week. How many of you reflected over these this week? One of the things I noticed was that it was both uh, uh, reasonable love I consider and I make choices about you. But it was also uh, a, a spiritual slash emotional. He's expressing, I have desire. I have longing. I have this sentiment about you. And so it was both sides of love. Both, both the, the, we, we often say around here, love is a choice. I'm not good at it, but I'm better at choosing to love rather than emoting love. Um, and so I was thinking, why, why is it that I don't emote love? Um, you know, I, I, I can do them. I love, love you, brother. Love you, too. But I, I, I don't stop and look people in the eye as much as I think I would really like to and say, man... I love you. You are what my life is all about. I want you to know that I belong to you. I know that's in my heart, but it's kind of creepy. And so um, I, I, I just, you know. And so I was, I was thinking about it, and this poem came to my mind. And I thought maybe to cultivate it maybe in my life, in your life, uh, and, and I, I might read this poem. And um, it, 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 you know, uh, romantic poetry uh, from the Romantic period. If you're not into it, it, it doesn't hit you right. But but 
this person, Elizabeth uh, Barrett Browning, uh, she and her husband were pretty radical Christians. Okay, And see if, as I read through this, you've heard this sonnet before, if you don't all of a sudden hear sort of echoes of 1 Thessalonians 1 through 3. And if you think about it, uh, you're going to hear the ideas of Paul in this sonnet that, 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 uh, that Barrett wrote. All right. What are the first words? Say it real loud, Dr. Reitz. And what are the next words? How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. I love thee to the depth and breadth and height my soul can reach when feeling out of sight for the ends of being and ideal grace. I love thee to the level of every day's most quiet need by sun and candlelight. I love thee freely as men strive for right. I love thee purely as they turn from praise. I love thee with a passion put to use in my old griefs and with my childhood's faith. I love thee with the love I seem to lose with my lost saints. I love thee with the breath, smiles, tears, all of my life. And if God choose, I shall but love thee better after death. Wow. I think what Paul was expressing went to that level of emotion. I long to see you. It wasn't as poetic, but it had that depth of, of desire. And so that's pretty much what goes on in those first chapters. Paul getting them to the place that they know that he makes his choices and his heart is captured by them. And uh, then, it's interesting, when he gets down in, into the end of chapter 3, uh, I'm going to read uh, verses 11 and 12 and 13. Now God himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way into you, and the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father. All right. I, I don't have time to, to go into it. Um, well, let me finish 13. Walking in love. Let's see. Holiness, even God our Father, uh, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Well, we don't have time to go into to detail in the rest of it. So what I want to do is I want to point out that there's, a, there's sort of a change right here. Paul has poured himself out expressing his love, not exalting himself, not for any return, but just, I want you to know how much I love you. But then he goes on and he says, Now, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men even as we do toward you. Wow. Even as we do toward you. 
Paul took that time to express his great deep love. And he said, now, I want you to grow in that kind of love toward one another. Everything I've expressed, you understand how I love you. Now, grow in that love toward one another. Increase and abound. That word means to, uh, to have more than enough and have leftovers. What I want to see happen in the church there in Thessalonia is this. Thessalonica, Thessalonia, Thessalonian, Thessalonica. Thessalonica. Uh, I want to see love be so overflowing that there's plenty left over for everybody. And, you know, as, as, as I was thinking about that, that uh, he wanted it to be generous and overflowing and not, you know, well, okay, who's got to do it this week? But just so much love that it's just kind of laying around. I thought, you know, I live in a place like that. I do. Uh, as I have lived among this body... For the last several years, I have never been in need of love. I have always had reasonable and spiritual and sentimental love in my direction. Now, sometimes I get selfish, and maybe sometimes I'm not always loving, but Everybody is growing in love. Everybody is moving toward that place of being superfluous in love. And I want to point something out to you and, and go with this thought for a second out of this verse. It says, love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. He puts a priority on loving the brothers first. As opposed to the sisters. No, I'm kidding. Uh, it, it's generic. But he puts a, a, a priority. And, and he drills that down uh, in another scripture. I've got it written here. Um, he'll say it again in, in 515. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil. But always seek to do good one to another. And everyone... But over in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, uh, there's an interesting verse. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, but especially who are of the household of faith. Above all, most of all, particularly, love and do good to those who are of the household of faith. And so I just want to share uh, tonight that there is a priority in the way we concentrate or contemplate on how we live our lives. We first love the brethren. Now, now, why would the Bible teach us to do that? It's because it is love which forms the body of Christ. God is building a church. And what's the purpose of the church? It's to serve the world and to reflect Christ. That can't happen if you have people who are sort of itinerant lovers. They spread their love here. They spread their love there. They love where they want, and they love where they don't want to. But there's a very clear mandate in the Bible 
that we need to have our lives joined and compacted by what we supply to one another. That's in Ephesians 16. And earlier, you know what it says? It says, rooted and grounded in love, grow up in him. And even there in Ephesians 4, it says, we're joining together, builds itself up in what? Love. And so, concentrate, at least Paul says to these Thessalonians, 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 Yes, I want you to love everybody, but you can't love everybody if you're not loving each other. And so throughout Scripture, uh, Paul puts a priority on loving specifically so that together you can love generally. Does that make sense? To the end that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God. Verse 13. Now, I I don't have time to go into it. But stop and think about that. I want you to love each other so I can establish you as blameless in holiness. We've done a teaching or two on what holiness is. Holiness is this. It's walking in love. If you will grow and grow and grow in love, you will walk in holiness. Because holiness is simply God's will. And God's will is that we would love one another. And so Paul says, to the end, I want you to grow and be overflowing in love to the end that you'd be holy people. That gives you a whole new view of what holiness is, isn't it? You know, a lot of times when you think about holiness, you think about somebody who got baptized in prune juice or vinegar, you know. They're so stuck up and, and stiff that, you know, well, praise God, I want you to... But, but, but in reality, holiness is this compassion. It's this love. It's, it's pouring our life. That is God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. So, so Paul is pulling a lot of theological ideas together and saying, I want you to love each other. Not a shallow kumbaya love, but this costly, uh, deep love. Because as you do that, you become holy. And you walk like you ought to walk. That's good, Billy. Thank you. Uh, And then at the end of 13, it says, At the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. In other words, that you'll be holy and, and unblameable. At the coming of the Lord. Now, this introduces a new thought in the book. Uh, it's gone from I love you, I love you, I love you to number one, now I want you to grow in this love to the end that you'll be holy when Jesus comes back. And so this theme now gets rolled in and it plays a part in this whole idea of our ability to love each other. It's Jesus coming back is important in helping us learn to love each other. And we'll, we'll come back to that in a minute. But I want to go on down through Thessalonians now and touch on this theme of loving one another. And then we'll come back and we'll pick up with Jesus coming back. All right? So let's go ahead and finish the, the portions that talk about loving one another. Um, verse 9 of chapter 4. Now, concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write you, 
For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. Okay? First of all, this is the brotherly love. That's one word. Every place else in Thessalonians, we read the word love. It's the Greek word agape, which uh, we understand that to be best expressed in the cross. But here, it's brotherly love is one word. It's uh, uh, phileo, and it, it's the kind of love that you have in a family. Matt, I, that plays right in with what you noticed. He was really trying to say, we have got to cultivate the kind of connection that a real family would have. And he says it explicitly. You guys are learning to walk like true brothers and sisters. And you didn't need anybody to teach you. Why? Because you have been taught by God. Now listen. Here's a fact. True salvation sets you on the road to learning how to love. There's a lot of tests that people have for salvation. There's a lot of tests that people have for being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I'm not suggesting this as a test, but I suggest that you might want to look for this. If a person is truly born again, they will understand what it is to love their brother. Now, I know there's dysfunction in families, but for the most part, you don't really teach to love each other. They just love each other. Now, they fight, and they get mad at each other, and they carry on, but let some kid down the street come and get in the middle of it, and guess what happens? All those Gilpin boys gang up on the neighbor, usually, unless it's Tucker, and then maybe they take sides. I don't know. But do you know what? I, do you understand what I'm telling you? Because they are born and raised in the same house, and they know that they're brothers, even if they fight, even if they they don't like each other, there is something about that filial love that 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 connects them. Now, I know there's dysfunction, and I know that doesn't always stand true, but there is this thing of brotherly love that happens in families. Brent and I have it. I, you know, when I'm around Brent, I, I grew up with Brent, and uh, we drive Brenda crazy when we're together. Um, we're already there, and we drive her there, but um, this thing is very, very real. And Paul says, look, I don't have to teach you about brotherly love because God himself is living in you and it's happening. This is part of the miracle of Christianity that we enjoy. God is teaching us how to walk in love. But he says that I want you uh, to... Um, uh, that, that You're already doing it, but I urge you, and that word urge is like the Holy Spirit, paraclete, I come along beside you, and just as I am learning to more fully love, I urge you to go deeper and deeper in your love for one another. Do this more 
and more. I urge you, I encourage you, I try to cheer you on to this, he says. I think there's a couple more. We did a lot tonight. Oh, it's 8 o'clock. Let me, let me just go ahead and mention these quickly. Um, this next one is very hard for me to do. It's um, verse 12. 412. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. We ask you to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. In other words, the pastors and elders among them, Paul said, look, not only do you need to specifically love the brethren, but in a unique way, you need to respect and esteem in love those who labor among you. And that word uh, has to do with know and understand the direction they're trying to lead. Those that rule over you or those that have the responsibility. And to esteem them or to value them uh, in love. Not just rote submission, but cultivate in your heart a love for those who labor among you. All right, we'll leave that there and move on. Okay, um, so uh, he says, I love you this much. I encourage you. I see it in you. God's working in you. He's trained you. You're becoming holy and righteous. Now do it more and more and more, especially cultivate it here so you can export it there. But let's come back to that thought up in verse 13. Um, to the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. A big part of our ability to live this way has to do with the fact that we have a hope that goes beyond what we can see, taste, touch, smell, or hear. Or hook on the back of the hearse on the way to the, to the cemetery. We, I can give my stuff up for other people. Why? Because in the end, my stuff doesn't mean a thing to me. Jesus is coming back. I don't have to vie for position. I don't have to gravel for, gravel for stuff. I am free from a lot of the things that would keep me from loving other people. Why? Because death has no power and authority over me. There is a specific difference between people who have an eternal hope and people who don't. Throughout cultures, throughout history, people have faced death in ways that tries to cheat death. Either they create some system where they believe they can cross the river Styx and get to the other side, or they can do some feat so they will live in eternity in the minds of people, or they do just the opposite. They eat, drink, and they're merry. But both of those keep people from living lives of love. 
And so we're free to live in relationship with each other. Why? Because we're looking for Jesus to come back. That's our life. That's our freedom. Hebrews, we, I, I love this verse. I share it all the time. It says that what Jesus did, he delivered us. And this is Hebrews 2.15. Who through the fear of death were held in slavery or bondage. When you become a Christian, there is a bondage, a slavery. It's called sin. And sin is the opposite of love. It's selfishness. When you were born again, you were set free from the fear of death. Sin ends in death. Deliverance from sin releases you into a whole new life. That's why we can love each other. Because we're living for Jesus to come back. I'm no longer living for the sinful desires of this world, but I'm longing for Jesus to come back. And so he goes on down, and, and, and then he keeps this theme going. There is an exact connection between Jesus coming back and our growth in love for one another. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. That's verse 13. There's a hopeless grief that people have. Oh, I wish I'd have done this. I wish I'd have done that. I'll never see him again. I'm going to live my life differently now. Uh, and Paul said, wait, 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 wait. Don't live that way. They only died once. And that's when you put them under the water in baptism. Jesus is coming back. And he says, let me explain to you what's going to happen here. You don't have to worry about them missing out on life because they're going to rise from the dead. Jesus is going to come back, and when he does, all of your loved ones are going to be resurrected, and they are going to return with him, and then we who remain when Jesus comes back, we're going to go meet him in the air, and then... That's when life starts. We will be with him forever. What we're doing here is getting ready to go there. And how do we best prepare to go there? We live lives of love and pouring ourselves out like Jesus who's coming back for us. So Jesus is going to come back and kumbaya. Come on now. We don't live for this world. The Spirit of God inside of us is the Spirit of love, and we have hope and expectation for eternity. <coughs> so Paul said, look, number one, you don't have to worry about those people who were waiting for Jesus and they died. He'll still get them. But number two, you don't have to worry. He is going to come back, and it's going to happen. Now, I almost bet that when I introduce this topic, you're thinking, oh, so when's he going to come back? How do you know? Well, Paul anticipated that with the Thessalonians. And if you've read the book, he goes on and says, let's see. I hope I've got it. Oh, yes. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you don't have any need that I write unto you. 
Because you know that it's going to come like a thief in the night. When they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. And so basically he's saying, I know, just as soon as I say, hang on, Jesus is coming back, you're going to say when. Well, you know that I can't answer that question. But he is coming back. And it's going to be in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. It says that a trumpet shall sound, and then all the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we who remain shall ascend to meet him in the air. The whole idea of a trumpet is that whenever a, whenever a dignitary would arrive, they would blow a trumpet. And basically, what would happen when, when it was a very, a very uh, a high official? Everybody in the city, when the official would come, the trumpet would sound, and everybody would go out and meet the official, and they would escort him back into the town, and then they would throw this great party. That's what Paul's saying. Guys, it's just like when some dignitary comes to town, only it's Jesus coming back just like he went, went up. He is going to return, and you're not going to miss it. Your loved ones are going to be there. That's what we live for. And because we live for that, we can live a life of love. You may not see the exact connection in your mind, but Paul did. He understood people living for eternity could live a life of love. And so we need to talk more about Jesus coming back. We need to cultivate in our heart this desire for the return of, of our, 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 our beloved um, and, to, and, to, and to cultivate that and to, to bring our mind back to that. And it really sets you free to live in that world. I said this last week, I think, maybe two weeks ago. My dad got sweeter the older he got because he, he was headed to heaven more than he was staying here. And uh, I, I think about... 30 years ago, something happened in the churches of America. People thought, well, people are always talking about going to heaven. We need to learn how to live right now. Well, part of living right now is having a hope for heaven. Hallelujah. And uh, I can't wait for Jesus to come back. But in the meantime, I just want to encourage us to do more and more of what God's been doing in our lives. Uh, to become holy and blameless as he perfects us in love toward one another. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Life is good. God is good. And uh, come, Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. Amen. All right. Let's stand up. <laughs>